0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory.
1: Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where each week we're talking about financial planning issues that matter to you and help you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, and I'm here with Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. We've got an interesting show coming up today. We're going to be talking about one of the most critical stages in people's financial life. And it's a stage that's gotten more complicated as kind of modern day America has evolved and changed and so on. We're going to talk about all of that and it's pretty interesting and it's a critical stage in people's lives. After that, we're going to be hitting listener questions and we've got some interesting listener questions as well. Over the past few weeks, we've gotten more listener questions than we've had in the past and I just want to hit all of them. They're just ripe. And so we're going to be hitting some, uh, let's see here, how often should I look at my investments online? when should I be drawing Social Security, and even some coarse comments about our own government. Good stuff coming up. That's right. I'm saying that politely. So if you have a question for the show, you can uh, submit it two ways. You can give us a call at 574-222-2000, and that's a voicemail box. You can leave your question and all the details right there. Or you can check us out online at wisemoneyradio.com. Submit your question right there on the right. And you can even get the link to the previous episodes if you missed one and you want to catch something on college planning or investments and all of that. They're all right there, all the past episodes. Okay, today we're in the fifth week of our series that we started about the seven biggest transitions that people face in their adult life and how to plan for them financially. Today's transition is interesting because for many people, this stage is different than it used to be. It's more complicated now and it's more critical that you get this right financially. Kevin, can you remind everyone what the seven transitions are and then introduce today's topic?
2: Yeah, so the seven transitions, the first one is school to career. So when you're getting out of either high school or college and you're moving on to your career, that's the first transition, followed by single to married, and that would be followed by married to parenting. So now we go from being married to having kids in the house, Kids in the house to college year. So they're in the house and we're pushing them out of the house. Reluctantly. Yes. Go to school. Yes. And and for the fifth one, which we're going to be diving into with uh, some great detail today, is empty nesters. Once the kids are all out of the house, what does it look like with just mom and dad at home? Uh, The sixth one, we'll talk about going from uh, having a career or work to retirement. And then the seventh one is married to single again. So today we're going to focus on the empty nester and what it means to you, whether you are single or married, but you're an empty nester, and what are the financial ramifications of becoming an empty nester?
1: We're going to get into that, but I need a monologue for a second. Because as I was getting ready and thinking about this transition, I think a lot of people, it's maybe a a sleeper. You don't really realize how important this stage of life is. I was thinking about all the reasons why not only is this an important time in someone's life, but it's more difficult now to plan for this. And and so here's what I'm talking about. I Googled empty nester, just getting ready for the show. Google defines an empty nester as a parent whose children have grown up and left home. That's it. But what if your kids are coming back home? That's right. <laughs> what if they left and came back? Or what if your kids haven't, quote unquote, grown up in the traditional sense and are still financially dependent on you for some reason. I'm speaking about this phenomenon called prolonged adolescent. Uh, Author Brett Harrison defines this as where people in their 20s are remaining dependent on their parents for a longer period of time, either because they're living at home, and I blame the Huxtables for that. Uh, They modeled that for us (laughs) on TV. Um, Or the kids are taking a longer time to get through college, right? The average four-year degree takes six years to get. Right. And then with the job market being sour, a lot of kids are going on to grad school and other things. So kids are remaining financially dependent on their parents for a longer period of time. Brett cites a few reasons for this that, to me, logically passed my smell test. And I've got a big nose. So there you go. But he says, okay, there are fewer entry level jobs. So students are coming out of school with debt and really aren't having the financial means to pay for them. So they stay connected to mom and dad. Also, kids are staying in school longer. I already mentioned college, a four-year college is on average taking six years to get. And then this is another one. Young people aren't feeling a big rush to get married. And so there's almost this idea that, well, I can stay a kid a little bit longer. So this prolonged adolescence is making this stage more difficult.
3: Well, and I think what you're describing is that it's you're reaching the stage of being an empty nester at an older age yourself quite often. And so that that just means that um, not only maybe you had kids at an older age and therefore you were raising them at an older age, you sent them off to college at an older age, you're going to be reaching uh, this stage of being an empty nester with possibly less time to get ready for the next stage, and that's retirement. Yeah. So you have to be especially focused on this stage because you can burn through these years pretty quickly, and not be ready for retirement when it gets here.
1: Okay. So we, we've, I think we've made the case. This is an important stage. So if you're, if you hear the title, we're talking about becoming an empty nester and how important that is financially. Don't think of the '80s TV show. No, this is a serious stage of your financial life. All right. So this show the wise money show is about financial planning and you guys know there are six areas to everyone's financial life and to their financial plan but specific to being an empty nester what are the most important financial areas or financial planning areas that people need to focus on in this stage
3: my vote uh, of all the six areas my vote the, the one that you should be focused on right now is the one that i just alluded to and that's retirement planning This is your opportunity to start preparing for retirement. We could call it the retirement preparation phase if we wanted to. But, you know, in in past episodes, when we've been talking about these life transitions, we've said in the past that it's not too early to start planning for the retirement phase, even when you get your very first paycheck. But if you've cruised through all these other stages of life and you're finally at a point where the kids are out of the house and you can start focusing on your own financial life, now is the time to get really serious and begin accumulating the dollars that are going to support you someday.
2: Yeah, and a lot of times you think about now is a great time to get really focused on preparing for retirement because the nest is empty and then, yet, yeah, what happens is there are some expenses that come up that people aren't thinking about, and or they haven't. They've been dealing with college, but they haven't been planning for. So one of those expenses is a wedding. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my daughter's getting married, and I want it to be like the Kardashians, and it's going to be, <laughs> you know, X number of dollars, and we're just going to have to take money out of the retirement plan in order to get it done. Uh-huh. And we say, no, 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 don't do that. Uh, make sure that you're planning for, and planning for a wedding is a great opportunity to give your children a, a, a practical experience in budgeting mm-hmm. and saying, look, this is what mom and dad are willing to do. This is what we set aside. This is what you have to work with. So you it can be as nice as you want it to be, but this is our contribution to that. I think another thing that a lot of times people don't really plan for, but end up doing is is some sort of gifting towards uh, the purchase of their children's house or housing or things like that and another thing that would come up might be the raising of grandchildren where there's uh, a single parent involved and gram- grand and grandpa step in and raise children and then you know,
3: lo- my, my mind actually went to your own parents landing back in your house uh-huh. you know right around the time you get the kids out, you, you know, it could be your parents taking their place, possibly. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I like that you're hitting on the fact that there are some unexpected expenses, which really speaks to that second or actually the first area of financial planning, which is your present financial position, where you're dealing with budgeting and having uh, a clear, clearly defined list of financial goals that you're focusing on.
1: I think another area that's really important, really critical in this stage of life is your overall investment plan. Right now, at this stage, you've probably accumulated the most money you've ever had towards this goal of retirement, and you're looking at this thinking, maybe, maybe you've had the maturity in previous downturns to say, well, I've got enough time to ride through this one, and it will come back. And right now, you're staring at retirement thinking, gosh, I don't know if I can stomach or afford another downturn. And so I think that's where some real good coaching on the type of invest investment mix that you hold and how much risk you should be taking right now in this empty nester stage, you should be looking at that with your retirement plan or, or excuse me, your investment plan.
3: You know, I'd give you one last one real quickly here. Um, Tax planning is one of the key areas of financial planning, and it's one that really changes dramatically, sometimes catches people by surprise. When they uh, send the kids off to college, their their tax picture changes. Well, it changes again after they're done with college, and some of the, the sweet uh, tax write-offs and tax credits that you enjoyed during those four years or six years of college, uh, they suddenly go away abruptly. And if you're not ready for the transition, uh, you, you may not have the right game plan in mind for this next phase.
1: Okay. Guys, we're talking about how to plan financially for the all-important empty-nester stage of your financial life. We've got more coming up on that topic here on Wise Money with Horror and Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Good morning. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3 MNC. My name is Mike Bernard, and I'm with Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory talking about the financial planning issues of being an empty empty nester and how you should plan uh, in this stage to get ready for the next stage, which is retirement. So we talked about the big areas of your financial life that you need to be focused on in this stage. But let's talk about some practical advice, some practical steps. I mean, we are advisors, right? We give advice for a living. So Kevin, Josh, what would you say to someone who's an empty nester or about to become one? What advice would you give them?
3: I think the very first thing I would send a, a married couple off to do as soon as graduation has happened or you've you've moved your child out of your house and you're officially an empty nester, is have some sort of a weekend retreat to reevaluate what your goals are because you know you you've come through some pretty long stages of your financial life and your priorities may have changed. Some, some of the things that are important to you um, in the past, maybe no longer are. Or, or maybe there are new things on the horizon that you really want to accomplish, but coming up with a prioritized list of goals that you can start directing all your efforts and now newly freed up cash flow towards, I, I think is really important.
2: Yeah, and I think it would Josh where my mind was going when you said have a weekend retreat was the idea of working on your marriage. Yeah, reinvesting
1: yeah. in that marriage. Yeah. Because during acquaint yourself right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. The, it it can be um very difficult during the time when kids are home and the demands are high on mom and dad for, to pay enough attention to that relationship. And once the kids move out of the house, that relationship is all you've got. And it needs to, uh, that, that covenant before God and man needs to last as long as you do. So uh, in, investing in that is very, very important.
1: I think oftentimes financial planning is event-driven and people come in to see us and say, you know what? I'm finally ready to get serious about achieving X in my financial life. Usually it's sparked because of something. And I think a lot of people, it's sparked because, yeah, the kids are about done with school, or I've become an empty nester, and I've heard about this thing called building a retirement plan for a while, and I've done some online calculators, but it's time for me to get serious. And so I would tell someone, practical advice, build a retirement plan. Have clarity and confidence that you are on track to be done working when you want to and or you, when you need to or right? when you need to and that you can live the lifestyle that you want right what, what are some things that come to mind when you're thinking about your own retirement maybe a vacation home or a new car or you name it right it's time to put those goals on paper and start taking some steps towards figuring out all right are those achievable or were those actually just dreams So that's the one that tops my list is build. My advice to you would be build a retirement plan. Get that clarity and confidence on where you're at in this stage.
2: And I like the idea, too, in addition to building your retirement plan as a component of your overall financial plan, I would work on my life plan. There, I've seen a lot of empty nesters who are completely stressed out, and that's because things at work are changing dramatically And they're nervous about the changes, a little bit fearful, wondering if they're going to be able to keep up with the changes. So as we talk about investing and investing in your retirement plan, I wouldn't neglect investing. And we said invest in your marriage as well. I wouldn't neglect investing in your career and and to look and say, is there is there anything in my career that needs to be retooled to better prepare me for the future? Or is this a time I've I've always wanted to do something differently? So is this a time for me to be a career changer?
1: That's interesting. That takes a lot of guts. It does, it. because as we're meeting with folks, as they start getting closer to, let's say, age 60, I've had a lot of people just say to me, you know, if I lose my job or get downsized or the plant closes, it's going to be harder for me to find a job. So you're saying early on, Kevin, you know, take, take inventory and is this a career you want to be? Because if you want to be doing something else, start taking steps early instead of delaying. It.
3: As opposed to those who are just kind of trying to ride their career into the sunset, hoping that it will last as long as they do, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I, I looked up a few disappearing jobs. What jobs aren't going to be around in the next Financial 10 years? Financial advisor on that list? Financial advisor followed by radio show host. Oh, great. So <laughs> we're in great shape. But um, no, seriously, the uh, the retail cashier... And it was interesting to think about these and think, well, how will this be replaced? But the retail cashier, telemarketer, uh, newspaper delivery, uh, what I looked at was in seven years, there won't be print newspaper anymore. Interesting. Could be right, could be wrong. Did you write this? Is that, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. So a travel agent, a postal worker, a uh, librarian. And I think we're, we're always going to need information to be managed, but I think as information becomes more and more and more digital and easily accessed, uh, our kids probably... Couldn't explain the Dewey Decimal System to you. Me neither.
1: Uh, (laughs) Okay, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the all-important stage in your financial life of being an empty nester and really how that phase is all about getting ready for that next big stage, the next or really the biggest financial decision most people make in their life, and that's being able to retire. So what about some of the big mistakes that people make at this stage of life? And I mean, that could really set you back if retirement is right on the horizon. What about the big mistakes that people make or most common mistakes?
3: You know, one of the mistakes I, I observe in a lot of people is having the wrong approach to the aftermath of raising kids and sending them off to college. And it, it kind of reminds me actually of back in the day, believe it or not, Kevin and I actually used to run marathons together. We ran a couple uh, Chicago marathons, and if you ever want an interesting view on human nature, go hang out at the finish line of a marathon race. Oh, I thought you were going to say run a
1: race with Kevin. Well, that, because yeah, I've heard some you stories You will see some that. interesting
3: things. <laughs> he does not wear a lot of clothes. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> Glorious. not the prettiest sight. Or in the studio. We're doing a radio show. That's interesting. That's right. But y- you go hang out at the end of a marathon race, and you'll see people Uh, Some of them, they get to the end This was me, by the way Get to the end of this long race And you just collapse You have nothing left Your energy is gone You don't want to move another muscle And there's other people that start partying It's, It's like celebration time They're eating, drinking, having fun, enjoying the moment And then there's these crazy people That start jogging home right? I mean, they literally start running to their car. It's like they've got to go do grocery shopping or something. And the same is true. And I I see this all the time when people come to the end of raising kids and getting them out of the house. Some of them make the mistake of just quitting. They just stop right in their tracks. They don't want to pursue another thing in their financial life. And others, they make the mistake of just partying and focusing on the lifestyle, all the fun things that they've had to say no to while they're in the expensive years of, of college. And then there's those crazy few that I hope our listeners would fall amongst that actually turn their attention to the next thing. You know, they, they run home. They start thinking about the next goal, the next race they're going to run. And I, I hope that there are more people out there, as a result of this show maybe, who don't get to the end of raising kids and sending them uh, off to college and, and whatnot, and then just quit.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point and actually a great analogy other than the discussion about Kevin not wearing <laughs> a lot of clothes. I can't really get that uh, image out of my mind. But that's, that's really a great analogy because I've seen, I've seen the same thing. I would, I would also take it one level deeper with big mistakes, and that's with the house. And I had this instance come up this week at work where someone finally had the kids out of the house, and what did they do? They had this extra income. They built a much bigger house, yeah. a much nicer house. And it's With like, less people in it. With less people doesn't quite make sense, but you finally get this freed up disposable income and you end up getting yourself, you realize, oh, I've got so much equity in my house. I could get a much nicer house for about the same payment. You don't really think about, well, now this payment is going to last 15 years into retirement instead okay. of being done in four years.
3: The, the funny thing is, is seeing people do that under the guise of, oh, we're downsizing. That's We're downsizing right. into a way more expensive house. It might have a few less square feet, but uh, as you said, the payment is just as uh, burdensome.
2: That's right. Yeah, so I, li- I like that. That's key to hold your things loosely, especially financially. And so you say, hey, I've lived in this house for 30 years. But if it's, a, if it's more house than you need or if it's a house you can't afford, it probably needs to be on the table as something to talk about.
1: All right. We've got more discussion yet to be had about the empty nester stage of life and getting ready for retirement and all of that. We're going to be hitting a couple more mistakes and then talking about what really practically you should do to get ready for that next stage, that stage of retirement here coming up on Wise Money with Four Financial here on 95.3 MNC.
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3 MNC. My name is Mike Bernard, and joining me in the studio, Josh and Kevin, we are talking about, we're talking about, Kevin is making Kevin's faces at flexing me. for us.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. People keep asking me if I've been working he's out. He's very it, proud that he's been working out. It's a little awkward, but yeah, I I have.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and no one has noticed, unfortunately. Okay, we're actually talking about serious stuff and financial stuff, uh, of all things. Uh, okay, we're talking about the importance of the empty nester stage and someone's overall financial life and getting ready for retirement. We're going to hit listener questions here in just a moment. If you have a question for the show, you can submit it in two ways. You can give us a call at 574-222-2000. That's a voicemail box. Leave your question and all the, all the details right there. Or you can check us out online at wisemoneyradio.com and you could submit your question right there on the right. You can even listen to past episodes or you can check out past episodes on iTunes and uh, I think Google Play as well. We've got over 2,000 downloads in just a couple months, which is pretty humbling and exciting. So, Okay, we're talking about the biggest or most common mistakes that people make in this stage of life, the being an
2: empty nester. We We left off a couple. Kevin, you want to pick things back up? Well, one of the things that I would... Say, Our job is not to make value judgments as financial advisors. So when we see people making what we would deem to be a mistake, um, we don't get great excitement out of that or uh, pointing it out. But I think it's important if someone is seeking financial wisdom and coming and looking for uh, good answers that we're willing to give them. And I think one thing that's really important when you are an empty nester is to establish very clear financial boundaries. Because I've, in my experience, I've seen lots of folks that are empty nesters, as in the kids don't live at home. But financially, not a whole lot has changed on the income statement. So that means mom and dad might still be paying for the cell phones. Mom and dad might still be paying for the insurance. Mom and dad might even still be paying for the car. And I'm not saying, I'm not going to say whether that's good or bad, but I would say have real clear financial boundaries because I think there's a potential there to stunt the growth of your adult children if you don't give them great leadership and clarity on those issues. Yeah, that's
3: the point to make right there. Not is it good or is it bad, but it does have a consequence. And un- unfortunately, we've met folks who, you know, they- they've had so much handed to them that they no longer reach for anything themselves. They, they don't pursue goals with any kind of, um, you know, energy or enthusiasm. And it's it's because, unfortunately, life stayed too easy for too long.
1: I think another big mistake is, is I think the investment decisions that people make in this stage of life. Again, I mentioned earlier how important this phase is, but I think there's, there's the idea, especially in light of the current market situation where people look and say, gosh, I'm going to need these dollars in five to 10 years. I'm going risk off and I I'm, I'm about to retire. Coming up in a few years, I can't afford another downturn. I'm going to risk off. And they basically, maybe at age 50 or 55, when the dollars still have another 30-some years that they need to, and I'd underscore that word need, they, they need to grow, they turn them into you know no risk, no growth. I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make. Not that I'm saying you should, quote-unquote, try and gamble and be too aggressive. Take the right amount of risk. Don't take no risk. Your financial plan, your retirement plan, really, for most people, can't afford that.
3: Yeah, and to be afraid of a bear market, a down market on the eve of retirement, I I understand why that would be scary to a lot of people, but it is important to recognize that you may live through half a dozen more of these types of down markets, and they're a normal part of... Of investing but uh, we, we get kind of the jitters when you're right on the eve of retirement and you think you're gonna lose everything
1: okay so yeah they, they're they're fairly normal now they're not fun so we're no. not we're not saying you know just to have a smile on your face the whole time but um, okay so let's let's dive a little bit deeper before we can we get into listener questions what about this next phase which is launching from work into retirement what should people really be thinking about in this stage I would start off where I just left off and that is you should start taking a different look at your investments and maybe start looking at how to position them to replace your paycheck, how to start positioning your investments to, to, to draw income off of when you get into retirement. Now, in this day and age, that's harder to do because interest, where interest rates are and the risk that bonds have and so on. But you need to start that process now. How are you going to replace your paycheck?
3: You know, I, w- I would add another one similar to that. Uh, it's related to your income, but on the spending side. Um, you know, getting your, your spending figured out now is really important because... By definition, most people are reaching a phase of life where the expenses have gone away, hopefully. You know, Kevin uh, alluded to some parents that are still paying the cell phone bill or the insurance bill for their kids. But theoretically, after the kids are out of the house, your expenses are at the lowest point that they're going to be, maybe, uh, for the rest of your life. And your income could be at the peak. You could be in your peak earning years. And so it it leaves all this discretionary money, if there ever was any. Um, And the the risk, ultimately, is that you just fall into the habit of spending every dollar because you can finally have the fun that that you've had to say no to for so long.
1: And the risk with that isn't because we want you to not spend money or not enjoy things. It just means now your retirement nest egg needs to be even even bigger because it needs to support a higher lifestyle. That's right. You get used
3: to to it, right? You're in the habit habit or the routine of spending more. And so it's just going to take more money to uh, to be able to support that lifestyle. You're exactly right. Yeah,
1: very interesting. It's a double-edged sword because the less you spend, the more you can save up, but the less you need to save up. That's right. You're, <laughs> you're living frugal. That's the more good. you spend, the less you're able to save up, but the more you need. What, a do- what an interesting... But is,
3: isn't that reassuring, though, that the success of your retirement really is in your hands? It's, it's less to do with the, the performance of your investments
1: and more about the habits that you choose for yourself in this stage of life. Oh, uh, that's why we're doing a radio show. That is, the, that is the truth. No one wants to hear that truth, though. And certainly the, the media and the news, they don't want to portray that. Okay, we've got listener questions coming up. Sherry sent us a question using the website. Sherry's in South Bend. She's a brand new listener, she says. How often should I look at my investments online? My coworkers check them out almost every day, and it seems to drive them themselves crazy. I don't want to do this, but I also don't want to neglect. Any advice?
3: Yeah, driving themselves crazy—that is the answer right there. I mean, that it's it's on display what it does to them themselves really emotionally by watching too frequently. And um, you know, Sherry, welcome to the show. By the way, Um, it's an interesting question. I don't know that we've had this question before, but I personally take not a hands-off approach to my own investments, but a very limited approach because. We do spend all day, every day watching what's going on in the markets, talking about investments. So if anybody would be susceptible to making an emotional reaction to what happens in the market from day to day, it would be us. right? Yeah. And to prevent against that, one of the things that, that I do, I limit myself to only look at my investments for the purpose of making changes twice a year. I give myself, it just happens to be the month of January and the month of July. It could be two other months, though those ones happen to be convenient for me. But the the point is, is at that time, I'm rebalancing my portfolio, making sure that the recipe I'm following still makes sense. And I'm reevaluating the mutual fund managers at that time. How are they doing? uh, Not just from an up and down standpoint, but how are they doing compared to their peers or compared to the amount of risks that they're taking? That is the approach that you need to have, an unemotional approach to evaluating your investments. And I guarantee you, those coworkers are not taking an unemot- unemotional approach when they're looking every single day.
1: Yeah. What's interesting here, one of the mutual fund companies that we use posted some data on this. And obviously, if, the, if your investments are up, you're happy. If they're down, you're sad. And they said a diversified portfolio going back to 1973, 47% of the days their investments were negative. if you looked at it daily. But if you just looked at it once a year, only 20% of the years were negative. So how often do you want to be happy is my question. (laughs) Okay, great question, Sherry. Thanks for your listenership. We've got more questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to
1: you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired team at RE-MAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3 MNC. I'm Mike, joined with Josh and Kevin, the three of us are financial advisors at Corhorn Financial Group. We've been talking about today on today's show the importance of the empty nester stage of life. If you missed anything, check out the podcast and uh, there's a lot of good tips and tricks and issues to focus on there. But now we're in listener question. We just took a question from new listener Sherry. And now let's go to Jim from Eau Claire. How do, how do you pronounce that? All Claire? it all clear. I don't know. I'm from Michigan. So yeah. I, mean, I have a hard time with that. Anyway. It's all vowels. Jim knows. Hey, you. Jim knows. Hey, Jim, thanks for your question. Jim actually called into the hotline and left this question on the voicemail. He said he's 67. He's still working for another year or so and hasn't started drawing Social Security yet. He said they've got about 400000 saved up in cash and investments for retirement. His wife thinks he should start drawing Social Security now and just save up the money because he's still working. But he's tempted to hold off on Social Security for another year or so so that it will grow at about the 8% figure we've talked about on the show before. He thought he'd check with us to see what we suggest. Thanks, Jim. Good question. Sorry I butchered your town's name.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Jim. And when you look at that, one of the things, if you're looking at a story problem and saying, how do we solve this? One of the things that we don't know is what is the amount of Social Security that your wife is getting? Because if you said, well, what would be one... There's a couple of reasons why I might hold off before I take Social Security. One that you've mentioned here in your question, and, and that is that your benefit is going to grow at 8% a year, and it'll grow until you turn 70. Now, beyond 70, it's not going to grow, but it will grow up until that point in time. So you say, well, I might prolong drawing Social Security until I turn 70 to increase my benefit. But the other reason is, Jim, when you or your wife is gone, the survivor gets to claim the higher benefit. And if your benefit is the higher benefit, it might make sense to wait those three years and get one benefit uh, considerably higher in the event that one of you were to die, the survivor gets to draw that higher benefit.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because we went through last year, the, the past fall, where the government made some of the biggest changes to Social Security in the last 15 years. And Jim, you're actually eligible for both of those the the time for the time frame for the file and suspend i think you might have it might have just expired by now so hopefully you've looked into that uh where you could have filed and immediately suspended and that would have allowed your wife to draw off of yours the other one though let's let's pretend that you missed that that window and so now that loophole is closed you could still consider the restricted application for your wife where she could draw a restrict a restricted application, uh, just you know, to, to maximize the benefit, like Kevin mentioned, but outside of those strategies, yeah, Jim, I'm actually in favor of you delaying drawing Social Security for as long as possible.
3: You know, that that's exactly the answer that I was going to give as well. But as I've been sitting here listening to you guys, do you change your answer in any way if the market keeps dipping further and further? you know, does it get down to a level where you say, man, if you were drawing that extra Social Security for one additional year and you were, you were actually investing it into the market while it's at a, at a depressed price, let's say, um, you know, do, do you think that that could sway you in any way or are you still kind of focused on what does it do for that surviving spouse?
2: Well, I think I could easily be swayed to say if I knew I was going to draw that Social Security and pretend it was uh, $2,000 a month, and I was going to take that $2,000 and put it right into my 401k and max out a 401k. That, that could be a case to say, hey, I'll have a bird in the hand. And that way, if you, if you and your wife, when you turn retire at 70 and you choose to take value jet to Florida and the plane ends up in a swamp, um, you've got that money. Now, just in case you're curious, you cannot contribute
1: your Social Security to a 401k. That's so, right. That's not what you were implying. He, he was saying if you are still working, which Jim says he is, you mm-hmm. could increase your 401k contribution coming out of your paycheck. And then live on Social Security. That's right. So It's kind of your, the shell game. If your you will.
3: paycheck will shrink because of your higher contributions to the retirement account, but you've got new money coming in from Social Security to offset it. Yeah,
2: Ineffectively like so it I, fe- yeah. effectively accomplishes. it. like saying. I said,
3: fellas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, you confuse someone out there though. I I still am tempted. I, you know, I thought of that too. Of course, uh, of course, I did. Um, but I am still <laughs> tempted to just delay the Social Security. I mean, the, comp- yeah. the compound interest that it's you get on... 8% it, guaranteed, right? Yeah, that is just... That's serious money, so... But great question, Jim. Thanks for the call. Call in with more questions if you have it. Um, okay, next question comes from Tom. He left this on uh, wisemoneyradio.com. Sent us the email. And his question is actually more of a comment, and there's there's many layers to it. I've it's a rant, maybe. I have the privilege of reading through this a few times. Hopefully it makes yeah. sense. Okay, so it's currently the government will help me get into debt by allowing me to deduct my interest payment on his mortgage okay so they offer that incentive then it helps incur risk in the stock market because i can invest that higher refund into an ira essentially the government encourages me to borrow and invest in the stock market because i also get a deduction on my ira why not allow families the ability to contribute a certain amount of the principal of their primary home and make that their IRA. This would mean people would have less debt and more people would contribute because they understand the asset in which they are investing. Even if the market's tanking, they're gaining ownership as they contribute. So yes, that's a rant and it's kind of deep, different layers yeah. to that. How would you guys respond to that comment?
2: So the the question Tom has is, okay, if I've got an IRA, can't, why can't a part of that investment be my house. I think uh, that could be part of is it. it yeah. Is that
1: how you would say it? That's part of it. Because I think he's also saying, why is the government giving tax incentives for people to take risk? Why don't? Why? Why aren't there incentives for having equity in your house as opposed to debt or leverage on your house? Which is an interesting idea. There
3: I, is. There are incentives though to have equity in your house, right? From the government. Yeah. When you go to sell that asset, if it's your primary residency. Then you don't have to pay tax on the gain. It's it's one of the few assets that you get a, a tax-free sale essentially, right? Point. Up yeah. to a point. Obviously, it's a half a million dollars for uh, a married
2: couple. Although that's not necessarily a, an incentive to have equity in your house.
3: True. That that's my big takeaway from what Tom was saying, though, or or my reaction, I guess I should say. Um, it it feels a little bit too much like. Uh, Tom is suggesting that because the government has created this incentive, I therefore must do this. You know, I there, there's an incentive to write off the interest on my debt, so of course I'm going to have debt. Well, no, not of course. You don't have to have debt just because you can write off the interest. Yeah, right. Good, good point. And a lot of people. I, I've I've actually never met a single person who's gone out and borrowed money just because they can write off the interest. Hopefully, they're using it responsibly for something practical, a true investment, if you will yeah right?
1: and that's the other part of of Tom's comment here is he talks about well, why not give people the ability to quote unquote invest in their home? well, for an i r a that's supposed to be a retirement vehicle and should be used to help replace your paycheck and you can't really spend your house that's right in retirement and so it's tricky this is a this is that issue is a financial planning issue. Should I save up more or should I pay down my house and be debt free the, the part of that answer though is you can't spend your house in retirement.
2: That's correct. So. You
1: know, he does make a good point, though, about
3: um, how people don't, they don't understand the investment in the stock market or mutual funds, but they do understand their house. And uh, to me, uh, that's just emphasizing a problem that needs to be dealt with. That's one of the reasons why we started this show. It's one of the reasons why, hopefully I'm not letting the cat out of the bag too early here, but w- one of our visions is that we actually create... A live class, Wise Money University, if you will, to learn about these issues because the problem of not understanding your investments is unacceptable to us. Okay? You know, to, to begin learning more about your investments so that you can be more involved with your financial advisor in the decision making, it's incredibly important because what you don't understand, you're going to fear. And if you fear it, then you're going to make foolish decisions along the way.
2: Yeah, and one. I th- and I too. I also think, Tom, you know, your experience with a house, depending on what you've seen in your lifetime, some people have incredible experiences with real estate where they've made fantastic amounts of money, and there are lots of people who've lost lots of money investing in the house.
3: That's a great point, point. and it's still liquid too. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, so
2: yeah, I th- I think um, it's thought provoking though what he what he brings up. The, you could hear Tom, you know, Tom for president, right? That's right. Tom, I, I'm going to build a house. It'll be a great house. and It'll have a door. <laughs> okay. And it'll be a great door. And the good people will come in that door and the bad people will go out the door. You can hear them. <laughs> and in the background, you hear, oh, 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 oh,
1: oh. <laughs> All right. We're going to hit one more question really, really quick. Amy Uh-oh. from South Bend. I had my first child last year around Thanksgiving. I'm starting to go back to work. Daycare is expensive. Can I deduct that on my taxes? The answer is yes but it's not a deduction it's a credit it's called the child care credit and it's uh the the amount of the credit it's a percentage of how much you spend up to three thousand dollars per child but you're capped at six thousand dollars i i know this not only am i a financial advisor but i have two kids that have gone through this daycare is expensive i know it and so there's a calculation that you have to do and it's also based your the amount of your credit is based on how high your income your is. Your income, right. But even if you can there's no threshold on 20%. So you can still at least get 20% up to 3 grand of childcare spent on each child with a cap at 6000 spent total. So anything to add there? Any final thoughts, guys? Well, some
3: employers offer a flexible spending account That's that right. you can set aside dollars out of your paycheck and mm-hmm. uh, pay for the childcare that way. Yep. So Check that out. Unfortunately, you have to make that decision at the end of the year for the coming year. So tuck that away in the back of your
1: mind. If you missed anything, check out our podcast at wisemoneyradio.com or on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. We'll see you next week here at 9 a.m. on 95.3 MNC.
0: Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.